I'm Brandon Bartnick, and this is the Future of Mobility podcast. Safe, sustainable, and equitable mobility solutions. That's what this is all about. With the climate situation as it is right now, plus many other factors, it's never been more important for us to continue to improve the sustainability of the way that we're moving goods and people. At the same time, we need to improve safety for drivers and pedestrians, and we need to get these solutions in the hands of the people who need them need them most. So that's what I cover. Primarily interviews, I'm talking to the people who are developing and implementing, covering these technology solutions. Also, my day job, this podcast is brought to you by FEV. FEV is your complete vehicle engineering partner for sustainable energy and mobility solutions. We're the engineering technology partner behind a lot of what you see on the road and elsewhere. Shoot me a note if you want to learn more. Check out FEV.com. Check us out on LinkedIn. Today's guest is Jack McCauley. So if you're into video games and or virtual reality, that may name may ring a bell and you might be thinking okay why why is jack on the future mobility podcast so if, if you're not into one of those things so jack first was an engineer at activision who designed the guitars and drums for guitar hero and then he's most known most well known for his role as co-founder and chief engineer at oculus vr which or i guess now former chief engineer at oculus vr which it really is the, the standard was and kind of even is the standard for virtual reality. It was acquired by Facebook for $2.3 billion in 2014. And it's interesting. So I was able to pick Jack's brain on those two topics and kind of the, the overall topic of innovation and what goes into creating more new technology, technology leaps, how he thinks about these different things, how he thinks about trying to instill this into his students. But so now Jack is innovator in residence for the Jacobs Institute for Design Innovation at the UC Berkeley College of Engineering. And so he's teaching students. He's got his lab, which when the video comes out, you can see uh, pretty pretty cool. He took this interview from, from a lab setting. And he has, he's trying to instill these principles into his students and then also spending a lot of time so he's a car enthusiast i would say and he's he's been now focusing more of his effort into the mobility sector and trying to think about you know with all this innovation that has taken place recently in the automotive transportation sector what's next what are the big things that rather than just making little tweaks on the electric vehicle that's been developed which is you know come along pretty well what are the big things where are the big opportunities for improvement so we talk kind of in detail on a few of these topics we also talk about Jack's lab, what he's doing at the university, his uh, two vehicles that built from the ground up. So there's an electric vehicle and a hybrid vehicle, which provides kind of these awesome uh, real world settings for trying out new things and investigating new technology. So w- with all that being said, really fun discussion. You know, not, not often that you get to uh, pick the brain of someone who's done the incredible things that uh, Jack has. So I, I really hope you enjoy this conversation with Jack McCauley. Today, I'm joined by Jack McCauley. Jack, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I think uh, really looking forward to the conversation. So the, I think your, your background, I think a lot of people know, know you from Oculus and uh, Guitar Hero, but I mean, it's, it's, uh, it goes a lot beyond that. So great, crazy amount of uh, inventions and so, such that you've been part of, which I'm, I'm really looking forward to. I guess the, the first, first question I would ask, so if, if someone, uh, someone you don't know comes up to you and says, meets you head jack what do you do how would you answer that question now well today i would say i'm retired and i teach uh engineering at uc berkeley 
Um, I have a private R&D facility where we do research on, particularly on transportation right now, electric vehicles, so forth. Uh, that's what I do now. Formerly, I was a video game engineer, but uh, my thing was uh, driving games, uh, particularly I built steering wheels for various companies. Uh, Take-Two Interactive, I built wheels for them, um, Activision, uh, Electronic Arts, all kinds of gadgets um, that I built. So that's what I did formerly. And the reason I could do that, and there's a couple of things that I want to uh, enumerate here. The first is relationships, maintaining relationships with people I've known for 40 years, staying in touch with folks. If you're coming up in your career uh, and let's say you go to work for a company, it doesn't work out like it's not working for you. You don't like it. You don't like the people. I mean, the best thing to do is to finish your job and say, thank you. I think I want to work somewhere else and let's stay in touch. That's the best thing. Don't leave explosively. Um, yeah. you know, don't set off fireworks. And then what they'll do is they'll say later on, they'll say, well, you know what? Uh, so-and-so quit, but you know what? He was, a, he, he finished his work and he was decent to get along with. And he, uh, we, uh, they, we kind of liked him. So let's call him and see what he's doing. Maybe he's not so busy. And, and that's how it sort of played out for me. Um, the, one of the guys I went to work for, I worked on Terminator 2, that movie. That, this was in the early 90s, worked on their sound system for him. And that's Cameron and James Cameron, other folks that um, I worked for a, a Kodak Research back then. We were working on a sound system. The guy that I work with, uh, I did not get along with him very well. He's a professor at UC Berkeley. You know, I'm a Cal guy. So Berkeley guy. So he's a professor there. Uh, but, it, you know, I learned a lot from him. I watched him very carefully. He was a brilliant guy. It's, he's actually the smartest guy I think I've worked with. Uh, a couple other people are notable. But he was very, very sharp and good business. Uh, Renaissance, he, he actually started one of the founders of Renaissance, which is an investment company, rewrote all their prediction algorithms for futures. And it's just an amazing guy. Anyway, I go to work for that. He's just too, he really tough on me. He was like working for a drill sergeant. Um, but you know what? I stayed in touch with that guy and uh, and I got um, gigs to him at, at Math and Science Research Institute at, at part of UC Berkeley. It's a math institute. I got other things just from that relationship. So this is my that's my sort of, uh, you know, statement I make to people who are starting Net- out their career. Stay in touch. Network, networking. The guy that I worked with, the guitar who hired me, Charles Wang. Um, Kai and Charles are the founders. They hired me to design their guitar stuff for them, their plastic guitars and drums. Um, I stayed in touch with those guys. I get a trustee position at UC Berkeley. I got elected to be. Um, and uh, because of that relationship, and I still maintain it, even though Charles and I butted heads pretty badly, and it's a really stressful job on video game stuff is very stressful. There's very tight deadlines and there's a lot on the line. If you miss launch, there are a few exceptions to this, people who don't believe in deadlines, but I do. Um, right around Black Friday, which is November, the games all come, new games come out. You got to make it, man. Yeah. And it's just stressful. So we made them all, but we kind of beat each other up. But anyways, my point is I stayed in touch with Charles and, and some of the other folks at Qatar. One of the guys, I have a this upstairs, I have a space and there's a startup there. And one of the, the my boss at, at Activision is that's his startup. He says, I need a space. I say, Hey man, use this. If no one's using it, just go ahead and take it. Stuff like that. That gets remembered. So there's my, my 
10 yeah. cents on. <laughs> yeah, I, I quickly, I guess, diving deeper there. So the, uh, mm-hmm. the networking part. So yeah, certainly staying in touch, keeping um, good terms and all, all that type of stuff, I think makes sense. And it's also undervalued or under or people don't realize how important that is. So I definitely appreciate that. But then the other part I think you alluded to, which is you do your work and I, I assume do the job well, right? Because people... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's great if they remember you, but they also they want you to remember that you're good at it. So can you yeah. talk to uh, kind of yeah. how, how did you for yourself, how, how did you go about getting good at what you were doing in the, the video well, game engineering? Yeah, so I, I, I'm not a stellar student. I was never an A student. I was often bored in school. And uh, so I, I, I don't say that people uh, like Larry Ellison. I'm not saying I'm Larry Ellison, but he's another example of a guy that was just not a school guy. And he was, and even though I went to a first rate university, I got a full scholarship and all that. I was just not my MO. What I spent my time doing was building models, working on electric trains, Lego, all that stuff. That's what I spent my time doing, painting, drawing, art, music. Uh, The other stuff I could do, but I just didn't like doing it that much. Hmm. So I would say if you have a child and this child is, um, has a propensity to like mechanical things and puzzles and things like that and building airplanes or whatever it is, uh, foster that and encourage them to do that. The school stuff, that'll come along with it. Um, I see like super parents who's got their kids in this program and that program and after school gate activities and after school. I just never seen one of those guys. I know they are out there. I've just never worked with one of those guys who, who was super successful. And I, I don't know why that is. I just think the creative part of it has to be fostered as part of this. So, and, and in, is it for an example, I'm not going to yank my chain here, but I got um, a scholarship at nine from Tinker Toy for doing some game mod to their, to their game. It's a, it's a toy game. It's wooden sticks and spools. I probably don't remember it, but I do. Um, I got a, I got a scholarship for doing something and I don't even remember what it was. My parent, I found that this thing when my mom passed away, I found this plaque in her drawer that she was so proud of it, but I don't remember doing that, but that's the kind of stuff I was doing. Steam engines, gasoline, little gasoline engines, whatever I could get my hands on. I was, I was playing with. So, uh, spent a lot of time in the library reading. I was not very good at sports. So I, I would do that. I would, you know, just hang out with the kind of guys, the nerdy kind of guys, I kind of gravitated towards those people. Um, and, and that's because we had just had common interests. I didn't particularly like being around them because <laughs> we had something in common. So yeah. one of the guys, there's this funny story. I'll, I'll move on. One of the guys that I, I went to high school with, um, uh, he's now, I can't name him. He's now pretty, he's done really well for himself. He was a lot like me. But he was in in the realm of doing stuff with explosives and things like that, <laughs> blowing things up. So uh, I know I know I, I got in a little bit of trouble with him a couple, you know, when I was a, you know freshman or something in high school. But um, that's the kind of that's the kind of people I hang out with, and I'm just you know I'm 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 uh, I'm gifted with having that um, sort of capacity, I think. And yeah, uh, but. So there's my story. But now here I am at Berkeley, one of the top universities in the United States. How'd that happen? I don't know how that happened. Getting <laughs> yeah. a gig and there. The, yeah. the advice actually is, is somewhat hits home. So I have a, a seven month old uh, first child coming up right now and thinking a lot Congrats. about uh, yeah, kind of leaning into uh, 
like he was playing with Lincoln logs and can't really build anything yet, but like playing with them for the first time yesterday. And it's kind of, kind of cool uh, thinking about how to uh, try to foster that creativity and inventive spirit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've met, they say that, that here's one thing they say that it's primarily males who are interested in that. That may be true, but there are there are girls too. They're also very good at that stuff. Uh, one of the people I, I work with has got 90 patents. She's a, a esteemed um, PhD person I work with. And uh, it's just amazing. Uh, I'm sure she had very similar type things. She just was interested in different things and girl, other girls were, and she wanted to play with, you know, to- you know, Lincoln logs or whatever, erector set, something like that. And that's yeah. look where she ended up. So yeah, that's a good, good with the kids, you know, let them, let them do that stuff. Uh, my parents did my parents never mentioned my grades, not once, except when it was really bad. Like you got to pass some minimal threshold. I, to, I passed. I, I did yeah. pretty well. I'm not, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking myself, I did okay. You know, yeah. it's just, they never mentioned it. It's like, are you behaving yourself? They're more concerned about my behavior. And, yeah. You know, like, are you blowing things up today or, you know, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. And I, I think there is maybe we'll have time towards the end. There, there's more on kind of the innovation front that I'd be curious to get your yeah. thoughts on. But I, I think the, uh, and also, I mean, I, th- I think the the video game stuff you've done is, is fascinating, but also the so future mobility podcast. <laughs> very, mm, and, there you go. Yeah. I think that that provides a nice tie into what you're doing mm. now. So I, I'd uh, yeah, I'd love I'd love to hear. So you mentioned you uh, you started as a video game engineer. You were interested mm-hmm. in these driving games. Now you're you're putting some focus on the uh, automotive world. Can you speak of kind of what what you're doing or kind of why I guess why yeah. and and what you're doing. So, so what I did on my house, you know, this is how I sort of started. Okay, when I saw Tesla shows up, I just thought it was a dumb idea. I mean, I can just go get gas at 7-Eleven, you know, or Chevron. I could just buy gas from my car. Why do I need to do this? You know, what's gas? Five bucks, like four dollars a gallon, now five bucks, whatever it is. Until I put solar panels on my house because my utility bill was, this is California, right? 1800 a month. I'm looking at this 20 grand a year going out of my, 22,000 a year going out of my pocket to pay for electricity. I go, there's got to be something that can be done about that. So I start looking around and solar panels, right? Well, I'll look into solar panels. So I bought solar panels from my house and I went like full whole hog, like <laughs> maxed out solar panels, batteries. And pretty soon I'm off the grid. Like I've got the power, Tesla Powerwall in my house and I'm off the grid. I'm not using any power. As a matter of fact, they're paying me to generate power. And I think, I'm thinking, this is pretty, this is cool. Let me start looking into this a little bit. So I start looking into it. And then I start le- looking at the electric vehicle part of it. The powertrain, the electric motor. I have some background in that too, but um, you know, looking at how all this interacts and the batteries and lithium ion batteries and it's sort of coming together. And so we endeavored to build. I built two EVs here, two electric vehicles. They're smaller, uh, but they're still an electric vehicle with all of the regenerative braking and so forth that you find in a full-size Tesla, for instance, Model S has all those things. Slightly different motor technology. The controllers are essentially the same thing, but it's not a Tesla controller, but it's a different, you know, it's just a basically works the same way. And so I, I gained enough knowledge in doing this to be able to uh, teach it. And um, so this is sort of all came about. Uh, they're asking me what I wanted to do at Berkeley. It's like VR for design. I've lost interest in VR. I mean, I think it's cool. Um, but I kind of lost interest, but I'm working on the car stuff. So it sort of is a nice fit. It's then... I get a call from Scott Murrah, Professor Murrah at UC Berkeley. Hey man, you want to teach this class where this is design innovation, design engineering for EVs and so forth. Yeah, I could do that. So make a long story short, that's how I ended up here. Um, and we are um, 
the new, the latest one is mods to the discovery I made and that's sort of the distill it down for you. It's what's the advantage of an EV? What is the advantage? The advantage is this, a gasoline car burns the fuel and generates energy that propels the vehicle. That's not recoverable. Once that chemical reaction between oxygen and octane occurs, you can't go backwards. But an EV is different. An EV has a reversible chemical reaction. So let's say you go up a hill all the way to the top on a scooter and you go down a hill on the scooter. And you can't go down and just let the thing fly down the hill because you go 100 miles an hour. You can't do that. So you have to apply a braking force to the, to the vehicle to when it's going downhill. Where does a braking force come from? It comes from the electric motors and, it, and the energy that's withdrawn from that braking force goes back into the batteries, reversing a chemical reaction that was occurring there on the way up the hill. So it reverses the chemical reaction. So in a gasoline powered vehicle, if you go to the top of the hill and then you start coasting down, you're gonna have to put the brakes on and it heats the brake, the brakes up and the brakes generate heat, which is the energy that dissipated by from the, uh, from the, from the potential energy or the kinetic energy of the vehicle going on the hill. So essentially that's the huge advantage. Now, electric vehicles also take a tremendous amount of energy to produce, but they're remarkably simpler than a gasoline powered vehicle. They're really simple. There's electric motor, a gearbox, just like a toy and some wheels and a steering wheel and some front you know, suspension and some other stuff on it. But yeah. So that's that's essentially the big advantage there for in a nutshell. And that's what I see back to the Tesla, the uh, power wall and stuff on my house. I say, ah, you know, I, I get this now and, and this is really cool. And so I'm going to start looking at this area. So that's, you know, essentially that is what what um, I'm doing now. And and uh, t- to your question, um, you know, about innovation, there's tons of areas for innovation in this in EVs right now, yeah, particularly I think with it, ener- energy management and the vehicle. Yeah, let's, let's dig in a little bit there. So yeah, so I, I think they, there was this huge curve of innovation kind of getting EVs off the ground. I think Tesla drove a lot of this. And then now you'll see every automaker either has or is coming out with a, a pretty similar vehicle here here pretty soon with pretty similar. I mean, yeah, you're, you're tweaking out um, battery cell chemistries are improving mm-hmm. over time, electric motor efficiencies, you're, you're eking out a little, little here mm-hmm. and there. But uh where do you see the main opportunities for innovation and improvements now on the, the current state of electric vehicles? Mm-hmm. You mentioned the battery. There's there's an emphasis on what's known as a solid state battery. Mm-hmm. Uh, electric vehicle battery, um, they wear uh, out. Eventually the battery um, gets diminished in its capacity um, to deliver electrons. And that's just from use. Now, the there's some chemical things that are occurring um, on the um anode and cathode of the battery, which are sort of causing this. Um, there's now emphasis on, on using solid lithium anodes and so forth in batteries to eliminate a lot of the plating. In a, in a, in a battery, like a lead acid battery, like you see in your car, it's essentially electroplating. It dissolves the lead into the electrolyte, and then that delivers ions. And then when you charge the battery, it replates those lead ions back onto, those, onto the battery plates. Um, and it's not much of a difference in lithium ion batteries kind of doing that, but when, on the replating process, when it's being charged, it's, it's going to choose favorite parts of the thing to replate on. And, and in a lithium ion battery, that's called a dendrite that grows onto the cell and can grow, grow through the battery and short the battery out. In other words, cause like to overheat. Mm-hmm. 
So a salt state battery does not have, it still has the plating issues, but doesn't have the problem to that degree because you can put a barrier there on the battery to prevent that thing from growing through. So the potential is a salt state battery have much longer life uh, than the current li liquid electrolyte type lithium ion batteries that are out on the market. So there's one area of innovation. There's a lot of companies work solid powers when it comes to mine, uh, who's working on this. Um, they've got investments from Ford and BMW. Let me just segue a little bit about what Tesla's done and, and where car manufacturers are going with this. There's a regulatory thing that's occurring where a lot of countries are saying, you cannot drive anything but an electric vehicle within a city, let's say. So the automobile manufacturers are gonna be forced by regulation to supply uh, vehicles for that market. You know, you, a small car that you can drive around the city, it's electric power to charge it up. Um, and, and people like me back in the seventies who are hot rodders, I was like into cars and stuff. You know, we are all against regulation. You can't mess with our horsepower, right? Don't put this on, you can't have a catalytic converter on your car. Catalytic converter converts the exhaust gas to harmless components rather than carbon monoxide. It binds it. And, produces harmless stuff. And then I think back at, at the skies here in California, like in the 70s in LA, you couldn't see across the LA basin. It was smoggy. And now you can, some days it's smoky, but now you can see regularly, you can see all the way across the LA basin. If you're in Palo Verde looking across, you can see all the way across downtown LA to the mountains on the other side. And that didn't used to be that way. So some regulation is good. It is, you need it. You need regulation of some sort, some sort of government policy regarding the use of the, the vehicle or whatever it is uh, in, in society. So um, this thing with the, the e that the governments are doing with EVs is probably necessary. We need to get unhinged um, from a commodity-based uh, market. Uh, fuel, gasoline, and crude oil is a commodity. It's a commodity. It has sort of a global price. Um, taxes and so forth influence how that's occurs in various countries, but that's, it's a commodity. We need to probably get away from that. Um, and uh, we wouldn't be attached into places we don't, countries we don't really like to deal with. They're not really How do you think, I, what do you think? And I want to come back because I think you have more yeah. to say about innovation areas, but uh, be curious to get your thoughts on different types of hybrid. So whether it's a full hybrid or a plug-in hybrid. So the advantage you mentioned about the ability mm -hmm. to recuperate generative braking mm -hmm. yeah theoretically still exists right so yeah your, your initial driver is you're using internal combustion engine but then you have a, a big enough battery to recoup and and get mm -hmm. take that advantage from the ev and then also in the city centers if you're living in and you have a plug-in hybrid with 50 70 mile range whatever you can get you're still using onboard emission or tailpipe emission free driving in these city centers but then you have the flexibility to drive further and also smaller battery packs, which eliminates some of the manufacturing costs and environmental impact up front. So with, with all that being said, what, what are your thoughts about hybrids at e either a interim step or a long-term solution? Well, uh, I uh, that's a good point. Um, the vehicle we're building here is a hybrid. It's a different type of hybrid. It's neither a serial or parallel hybrid, mm -hmm. which are the two configurations you find. Um, one type of hybrid, Actually, the gasoline engine is attached through gears to the wheels. And then when the engine is turned off, it's detached from the gear train to the wheels. So it's just sitting there off and the electric motor is driving in the gear train. The other type of hybrid there is, is an, an auxiliary engine and a generator. 
and the gener the auxiliary engine runs the generator. The generator then charges the battery or runs an electric motor, which is attached to the wheels. So there's no coupling, physical coupling of the gasoline engine in the second type to the wheels. Mm -hmm. That's another type, much like the Chevy Volt. Um, the latter type, the one I just mentioned, is the more expensive one to produce because it has a generator, it has a motor, it's got all these other things on it. Uh, the former, which is the coupled system, much like the Prius, is the less expensive one to produce. Uh, both of those have the capability of being able to run on batteries only. Um, not all hybrids do, but both of them have the capacity to do that. Um, there is advantages to both. Um, the one that has the coupled engine the, that is like a Prius um, has a disadvantage because the gasoline engine, the internal combustion engine, is not running at the optimal power output. It's not running at a point where the gasoline engine is producing most efficient power. Mm -hmm. When you're accelerating and going and driving around in your gasoline-powered car, it goes through efficiency bands where the gasoline engine is not efficient. And then it is efficient when it's producing maximum power, let's say, and there's a point there where it does. The type of hybrid I mentioned with the generator and the electric motor is the more efficient option. This is exactly what we're building here. I like hybrids. I mean, personally, uh, if I thought that um, I could get a hybrid that had um, the things I needed, I would buy one. I so it happens I own an electric vehicle car. Yeah, they're kind of getting regulated out to, to some extent for like the, the automakers for some of the reasons you pointed. And then also, yeah, these ICE bans from, for entire countries that have been announced for 2030 and 2035 yeah. kind of incentivize automakers. Well, yeah. I, they're using the carbon emissions and so forth. That's that's nice. And it's nice to care about the environment. As I mentioned, the thing with LA, you have to be concerned about what it's really decoupling yourself from. Um, you know, a global market of a commodity that puts you in dealing with danger, in my view, dealing with dangerous people. I mean, some of these people are like pirates almost you're dealing with, you just, you don't want to deal with them, you know. Um, it, there's other alternatives. You could be an in energy independent country producing all the stuff that you want internally. Uh, few countries have that option. The United States has that option, but few countries do. But, you know, if, uh, like I said, the, the advantages, you're going to take, uh, a chemical and blend it with another chemical and produce electrons or whatever it is, power, uh, it's nice to recover that. And that's going back to what I said originally, that's the advantage of an EV, purely uh, the regenerative component of that recovering the power that's lost. It cost me $6 to go 240 miles in my EV, $6. That's all it costs. If I, I have a, in back here, we have a full power plug-in power stations with all that stuff. They're level two chargers, which means they're a charger car in about six hours from dead. Um, it costs me six bucks to, to charge my car battery from dead. And I can drive 250 miles. That's a really big incentive yeah. to buy an EV. And uh, you're also in a great place from a sustainability perspective. If, if you're using solar power at your house and then you come and you're using yeah. a California grid, which is a relatively clean, clean, a clean grid yeah. compared to the rest of the country, then yeah, it's a great yeah. option. This building here is three megawatt solar array back it's huge behind the building we put a solar farm back here so you could argue although we're not really in that state right now that this entire building uh, complex here this entire business park is solar is renewable it is but uh, you know it's interesting because solar panels if you put a solar panel and you plug it into your wall it puts power into the grid right it goes into storage you don't there's not a battery on site 
Mm-hmm. It was just stored somewhere. You don't know how it's stored. It's stored in fossil fuels. They're not burning fossil fuels, right? So it goes into this big array uh, that people can use. The power we're generating here on the weekends is used somewhere else in the community around here. That's so, cool. Yeah, it's stored. So we're stored. We're taking now. Where those panels come from? Are they cheap to make? Are they environmentally? I don't think they're that environmentally friendly. There's a lot of chemicals in them and. They're not being made around here in California, being made probably in China or someplace like that. So I don't I don't know that equation very well. Like if it's environmentally the friendliest thing to do, you know, but in the short term, just from an emission standpoint, it is. It is. How about so going back to uh, your, your train of thought that I think I cut you off. So, so you had mentioned energy management um, on EVs as an area for um, improvement. Can you can you speak more about where where you see that? Let me give you uh, the example. The example of the scooter. You brought you brought up scooters, and, and I sort of keyed in on that. So, an electric scooter that you see, um, the standard electric scooter, let's say Line makes an electric scooter, whoever it is, mm-hmm. does not have regenerative braking. They they a little bit, but the problem with them is that uh, they cannot. Um, what, let's say you have a you hook a battery up to an electric motor. You go up a hill. It takes power out of the battery the battery get heats up, right? Then when you go down the hill, it puts power into the battery, heating it up even more. It heats the battery up when you're doing these chemicals. I mean, there's a, there's a loss there associated with power generation from the chemical reaction in the lithium ion battery. And there's also a loss when the power goes back in, separating those ions, replating them. So it's essentially that problem which prevents uh, a lot of the smaller electric vehicles from being fully regenerative. Um, there is areas of innovation in battery chemistry which will allow that to happen. And that would give you an extended range, a large range with a much smaller battery. So if you can, if you can figure out a way to keep the batteries cool, I mean, they have a battery management system on them already, which prevents them from overheating. That's all it prevents. Like if they shut down if they get overheated or they're drained. But it'd be nice to have one that could also manage the power content and the temperature so that you could cool the battery when you think that the battery's getting too hot. Mm-hmm. Now, big cars like the Chevy Bolt, the Tesla all have this inside of them already. The batteries are bathed in a coolant and it's coolant circulated around the batteries to keep them cool and all at the same temperature. But a, a little scooter does not have that. It, a skateboard, electric skateboard does not have that. So there's an area of innovation for battery chemistry or a cooling system. That's, that's my example here. Um, that you could do some innovation in to, to remove, cut the battery pack in half and increase the range to have the same range. So that's, that, there's, there's an area there. And, and so the area that we're looking at here is the, inter, is the hybrid area. Like how can we make the hybrid the most efficient so that it turns out uh, that if you have a small gas engine on there and uh, the hybrid we have, um, we've only charged it twice in the entire time we've had it, plugged it into the wall. You plug it straight into the wall, 120 volts. It's got a little power cord, the chargers on board and everything twice. And it's always topped off. And the, the little internal combustion engine, it doesn't, it can't power the vehicle. It's only about, I don't know, three ten. it's only uh, three fifths of a horsepower, but it's enough that when you park the, the thing, that'll turn the generator on the little generator and top the batteries off. In addition, um, if you had uh, a battery, a braking battery, a battery that takes the energy from braking and a battery that takes the energy 
from propulsion, two different battery packs. That's what this thing has. It's got two. It's got a smaller battery for braking and a much larger battery for propulsion. So when the thing is slowing down, it dumps the, the load into the braking battery and it's stored there. And during propulsion, which is going forward, it's taking, you know, accelerating, it's taking the energy out of the propulsion battery. And then when you stop, it tops off the battery, the propulsion battery with the braking battery. And what we were trying to do was to separate these two things temperature-wise to keep one braking battery at one temperature that's only used for braking and the propulsion battery at another temperature. So we could control the, the temperature of the battery, control the, how the battery is being used so that it doesn't get too hot and so forth without a cooling system on it. That's what we're trying to accomplish. And then I don't think that we have that working quite well yet, but we're working. So th that's an area, there's, there's tons of innovation that can be done. Here's another one, and I'm gonna mention this because this is really, really interesting. What do you do if you have, an our electric vehicle has no brakes. It has, doesn't have a mechanical brakes on it. It's all, it's all regenerative braking and it actually stops pretty well. It won't, it won't lock the wheels up, but you don't wanna do that anyways, but it brakes pretty well. What do you do um, with an electric vehicle and um, that um, is at the top of a hill, the batteries are fully charged. Let's say you live at the top of the hill, you plug it, you drive home, you charge the battery up. And then when you wanna go downhill, what do you do? Because the batteries are charged up. You, don't, you can't break using the electric brake because there's nowhere for the regenerative energy to go. And so one thought we had was to put this thing, if you had two motors, on this thing, one motor could be in regen mode and the other motor could be in braking mode. You see on an electric vehicle motor, you can break them, non-regeneratively break the motor. You can cause the motor to generate a braking force and it won't generate power out. It won't generate regen power. It'll use power from the battery to break. Hmm. So what if you use the rear motor and the front motor, the rear motor would be regen, the front motor would be braking. You could have a braking force on the vehicle without using the battery. So there's an area that I think is is uh, and and you that yet? Uh, we're gonna we're going to I just it's a good it's a good student thing to do you know like what are, what's just on paper what are the calculations for yeah. efficiency so I think Tesla might be doing that I don't I mean I don't know um, if Tesla or someone like that well, they, why do they, they have also have physical brakes on on board right that you could yeah. utilize exactly it. yeah but they may be using uh, to reduce. Where I don't know they may be doing. Why do they have two motors in their? I don't really understand what the dual motor concept. Is. Yeah, we we had a uh, an interesting thing. So we, at FEV we do a decent amount of benchmarking for the the so we're our own development work, and then also we we sell the data for for companies as the the vehicles come out. And uh, the Model Three when it came out, we did a bunch of testing. We do vehicle level testing of a chassis dyno. We rip out the propulsion system, do all a bunch of testing, and then ultimately we tear it apart. And when, when you tear it apart, you look and you see they didn't have any type of a a heat pump on on board at the time for a repulsion system but we were so we were curious how they were uh kind of in cold condition taking care of the battery pack and uh making sure that the temperature range was suitable for charging and we found out actually they were sending a current and oscillating the motor and generating heat from the motor that was then fed to the battery pack to, to heat up mm. the battery pack which i guess in hindsight make makes sense you're generating but like the the uh yeah, I guess not not intuitive that you'd be running the motor in some some extent in a stationary position while you're charging, which I thought they were cool. they were taking they're using the motor as a load dump for the battery and then using the heat from generated from the motor to keep the batteries warm. 
Yeah, it's just so if you're charging yeah. when it's very good under freezing uh, or something like that. I did not know that. That's really good. You know why? Because the battery has less capacity when it's cold. Let's say it's 60 kilowatt hour battery or whatever it is, 60 kilowatt hour battery. When it's cold, it's 40 kilowatt hours. But if you heat, keep the battery warm, you can charge it and still keep the 60 kilowatt as long as you keep it warm. And then you so operate it in a warm enough condition, right? And yeah, you, yeah, yeah. My uh, my thought when we discussed this at, at Jacobs Institute is like, why don't you have a heater um, inside the battery, and then when it's cold outside, you plug the charger, in and the charger's job is to keep the battery warm. Also, I think they probably have that already, but that would be. It just seems yeah. like a lot of hard. You start heaping hardware on there, and the costs go up. So that's clever. Of course, Tesla's clever. We know yeah. that. I yeah, it's, it's always fun to rip apart their vehicles and yeah, figure out they do stuff. things differently. I, I, what I don't like about them is their door handles. <laughs> I, I have a, I have a, I have a Tesla also, but the door handles, I, it bugs me that I can't walk up to my car with a handful of groceries and stick my finger and pull it, walk backwards and pull the door open. That's, <laughs> the only, that's really the only complaint. Besides I, the UI, the thing I noticed about that car is like when you get in it and you go to start the car, you hit a button on a normal car, it says power. There is no power button on the Tesla. You take your your, your card, you tap it on, on the yeah. console between the two seats to get it to start. It's crazy. So you have to pull your wallet out, search for your card, instead of just hitting the go button. That bothers me. It's like, who's doing your ergos? You know? yeah, the first time I drove uh, one of those, it, I was with a customer and it was the benchmarking vehicle. And I get in, I'm like, I have no idea how to turn this thing on. <laughs> Yeah. Unfortunately, they did. And yeah, the, the tap thing in the center console, but yeah, not, not well, intuitive. I think that's forgivable for what they've done, though, because, yeah. uh, you know, but, but that's it's, it's, mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, th I think really cool. And it, it sounds sounds exciting, too. I mean, if I'm kind of reading between the lines and what you're saying, like you, you have this uh, these vehicles where you're able to try out some of these innovative things. And then also the, the students you're working with are able to get firsthand experience and kind of put together. I don't know, really applicable and challenging real world type stuff that they're able to put the um, theories together and try it out. Yeah. What, what I'm hoping is they'll walk out of there and when they walk out of the class, they'll know how an electric vehicle works and what the advantage is, what is regen, what is braking mode, what is propulsion mode? Yeah. Why are they used? How the battery lithium ion chemistry, battery chemistry, uh, professor Murrah teaches that that's his area. Uh, What's the infrastructure policy look like, the regulatory stuff? We touch on that, but mostly I focus on the hardcore tech stuff, the power transistors, IGBTs, so forth, types of switches that are used in these, why they're used, um, and uh, how the power electronics work. We even teach the vector and physics of the AC induction motor on the Tesla. We teach them how the actual um, magnetic flux density vector is pointed inside the motor. It's very clever. And this is not, this is actually the Tesla guy that did this, the real, the old Tesla guy. It's like how you can actually steer a magnetic field. How do you steer a magnetic field? You can, you can steer it around. And that's how this, that's the cool part is like we teach them how to steer a magnetic field mathematically and with spreadsheets and so forth. So that's what we're teaching to do. Yeah. And I, I mean, so, so just speaking on my own anecdotal experience, I, so I, I did well in, in school and I, I think I got an NA in this class, but the uh, electricity and magnetism um, mechanic or mechanical engineering course that I took my junior year, electric motors was by far the, my least favorite thing that we learned because I just, I could not conceptualize the efficiency equations, the performance, but I feel like now that I'm 
I'm dealing with the stuff on a day-to-day basis, it, it makes so much more sense. So I would imagine yeah. that's a, uh, a big learning tool for the people who are mm-hmm. able to play with your stuff in, in real time. You know what the cool thing about, about uh, the Tesla is, is the motor. The AC induction motor that's used in Tesla is different than the other guys. Everyone else is using a permanent magnet motor. Mm-hmm. It's still an AC motor, but it's permanent magnet. What's, what's cool about the Tesla is that you don't need a rare earth material to produce a motor for a car. You don't need to be dependent on an unfriendly country who has an abundance of rare earth metals to produce a vehicle. It can be sort of a low tech, you know, low cost solution for a country with not big resources to produce. Now that's what's, what I think is cool about it. And also if you look at how the physics of the drive system work um, and the slip and how the braking works, very, very interesting. Um, it's actually, I, I just don't see the advantage of using a permanent magnet motor based on what I know. Um, I just think that, I think that the, what they did there was very cool. Um, you know, Tesla's done some really neat stuff and probably started the market for EVs to a large degree. And I'm getting kind of out of, out of my uh, technical comf- comfort zone here, but the, uh, one of the things as I understand it about, uh, the, like an AC induction machine, that's interesting is that if you have two of them, which a lot of electric vehicles have now, right. The, the front and the rear, uh, when you need them both, that's great. But when you don't, you can turn off the current and you're not wasting load on the, the idle, uh, the idle motor. Is that accurate or? Well, um, it, it, in, in a permanent magnet motor, let's say you have a two motor car and has a motor, permanent magnet motor in the permanent magnet rear. If the front motor is turning, it's generating power. It can't, there's no other way around it. It's going to generate power. But in an AC induction motor, it does not. If there's no power applied to the AC induction motor wires, it doesn't generate power, just freewheels and spins. So it'll just sit there and happily spin in there. There's no force on it. When you start to apply power to it, it, it does generate force. So generate, you know, uh, force. So that's, that's the beauty of it. Um, it has an inherent efficiency advantage in that, in that way. Yeah. It's like the, um, the analogy of the, uh, a V6 that turns into a, a four cylinder on the expressway or something like that, where you're, you're not yeah. wasting I, energy. Right. And it's just their sort of paradigm. They've done a marketing paradigm, dual motor, whatever. I mean, you could have it with a one motor in the back. Uh, for the reasons I mentioned, though, I think you'd have a challenge um, using if you had, didn't want to use uh, the mechanical brakes and braking without having two motors. It'd be really difficult. Yeah. If you had a single motor and you wanted to go in braking mode, it's going to use battery power. But if you had two motors, it doesn't. You could go all the way down the mountain, 18 miles or 20 miles down the mountain, and not use the brakes and not drain the battery. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's a, that's the advantage. And if you live in a hilly area, it kind of makes a lot of sense. It makes more sense with two motors, you know, it makes a lot more sense. Yeah. So a bit, bit of a, a left turn here, but a question I like to ask all my guests. So what is, uh, what, whether it's a book or, or some other type of medium, what's something that you read or experienced at, at some age that has had a, a significant impact on you? Oh yeah. Well, I, I like sci-fi. So, uh, THX one, one, three, eight, uh, the number of numerous sci-fi movies. I stopped. I stopped watching sci-fi after Star Star Wars came out because I, I didn't like Star Wars. I like dystopian, dark sci-fi. Silent Running. That's a good one. Bruce Dern's in Silent Running. It's, I think it was his first major feature film. But um, Silent Running, uh, 2001: A Space Odyssey. Um, those those type of sort of dark dystopian things. I I really like. 
um, that kind of stuff. So you asked me what I read. I did read. Um, I can read pretty well. <laughs> I do read textbooks. I'll read textbooks, technical journals, things like that. There's a book if you want to pick up a textbook, even though there are errors in it. We found errors in their, in their analysis. It's called Electric Machinery by Fitzgerald. If you want to go to Treaties on Electric Motors, it's a, a pretty easy to read. You have to have a little bit of a math background, not too much. Um, that's a good primer for EV stuff because um, they do cover both permanent magnet DC motors, brushless DC motors, and generators and AC induction motors to a large degree. So that's a good book for if you want to get a primer on it. Um, I, I also thought, um, Brandon, about writing a book, like an interactive book, like a video game, which would allow you to learn visually. Uh, so you could see things. I think it would be a lot of work to do that. But I've, I've never seen a book like that, like a college-level textbook that's an interactive with quizzes and so forth. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, I just don't know how, if I have the bandwidth to try that, but I, I would like to write a book like that, like a modern textbook, like an app that you could take a class with and impossible to cheat, you know? <laughs> yeah. How about, uh, one, one of your students, they're, they're nearing graduation or you're getting out into the, the real world and they're, they're trying to, they're, they're interested in making some impact, what entrepreneurial inclined, you know, smart dri driven kid. What do, uh. What, what type of advice would you do kind of, and I know it's, it's a situation specific, but what's kind of the generic advice that you try to give someone like that? Three things. The, as I mentioned, the, the relationship stuff, staying in touch with yeah. people, call and just call them once or twice a year, you know, or whatever it is. I, I'm a phone guy. I like to do phone calls. I'll set up a Google calendar thing and say, Hey, let's talk. Um, texting. I'm not so good at texting. I, I just, you know, it doesn't get the, doesn't work for me. So for some reason, but um, so staying in touch with people is a big one. If you're going to go and you want to work for a startup coming out of college, that's great. Um, I don't know how useful you are if you don't have a good skill set yet. Although I've run into young people who pick up on stuff very quickly and are accomplished in a short period of time. Um, not very often. I do run into people like that. Most of the time I tell them to go get a job at a big company and stay there for three or five years and then go work for a startup. Because by then you get five years in, you know, your stuff pretty well. It's like, you've been playing the guitar for five years. You can play some songs, you know? So it's kind of like that, you, you know, kind of what to do. That's, that's my advice I give to people. Um, startups are risky, um, can be very disappointing. Although that's what I did. I went to startups. So. <laughs> Don't do what I did, I guess, kind of thing maybe, but um and, um, you know, be honest and easy to work with uh, and um, try to get, you do your best to get along with people. Some people, you know, you go to work for a company and there's somebody in there, you just, you just don't hit it off, man. Just don't, don't stay. Why do you want to be miserable? Yeah. You know, go do, go do something else. Uh, it, if you're a software engineer, electrical engineer, mechanical engineer, it, it's pretty easy to find a job. What I wouldn't advise to do <clears throat> for young people is to hop around from place to place. Because when you get a resume like that, the guy you're going to go, well, the guy's there for six months, there for a year. He's not going to stick around. He may yeah. know his stuff. He's just not going to last here. He's going to get tired of it or see something else or do something else. So that's that's kind of it. So Yeah, yeah I think the advice kind of drives with I mean, So I, I started with Boeing after college. And then when I, after that, I was looking for something different. And I talked to someone like, yeah, the, the startup space is, is interesting to me. And he's like, well, you have two options, either dive head foot first in right now and realize you got a couple of uh, volatile years in front of you or spend the next five years at, at a place and try to learn as much as you can, get as good as your job as possible and then reflect afterwards and figure out what your opportunities are. 
<laughs> yeah, or around about those kind of things. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So how about uh, so we're getting to near near the end of time. Uh, I I have to ask. I know. So you said uh, you're you kind of have lost a little bit of interest in, in in VR, and that's not your uh your day to day. But I'd be curious to hear. So there's so many applications that have been thrown out in the automotive space for how this type of technology could potentially be used, whether it's, I don't know, simply seeing a, like a touring a vehicle or getting the, the in-ride experience or uh, potentially even for drivers, especially as we look at into the future for autonomous vehicles. Do you see any feasible real benefits or applications for, for VR technology in the uh, automotive world and the I don't know, short, short to medium term. So, uh, uh, yes, VR. So uh, I, I, uh, I think it's cool. I, I like the visual part of it. It turns out that video games uh, are more social than visual. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, back 10 years ago, everyone's shooting for the fastest graphic processing and render rate and so forth, shading. It's just, it's just polygon rendering. It's just not that important anymore what's important is the human part of it so um and and then so vr doesn't really have that it's got kind of isolating and it's very visual it's just it's different than where the market had it the market didn't go that way for uh product development it's brilliant like car i saw an lc5 lexus lc500 that was completely rendered in vr and i just loved it i mean you you it was it we had on the uh, vive Live one had that on and walk. You can walk around the car and look at it, change the colors, the texture, the upholstery. You get way to sell cars, although you still want to see physically see the car. You know, if I had a car company, I'd, I'd do models in Unity or Unreal Engine and then put them out there so people could actually look at the car, walk around and look at it. Yeah. You know, with their Quest Two on, and I think it's great. It's great for architecture and landscaping. It's 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 great for that. Um, for gaming, not, I mean, I don't know where Mark Zuckerberg's going with, with this. He wants to create the metaverse, perhaps. Um, I don't get it. Um, it's not something I would do. Um, being a video game engineer, it's like 2D, you know, screen and monitors what we play on, yeah. you know. So it's just not something, uh, I mean, I, I take exception, I'll make an exception for driving games or um, cockpit games, you have multiple monitors and want to make it realistic, right? For, for driving games, it's pretty good for that. If you want total realism, you know, yeah. with full field of view, 110 degree field of view, it's great for that. Like the super advanced version of like the, the Dave and Buster's game where like you're actually immersed in it. Yeah, that's global VR you're talking about, right? The Dave and Buster's one. Yeah. Yeah, that company, they're in San Jose. I don't know who those ah. guys are. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it, it would be like a, an arcade-ish thing. Uh, yeah, I mean, for cockpit games, it makes sense. Uh, cockpit games are like piloting games, like yeah. training games for piloting an aircraft or driving games. It's great for that. Um, for other stuff, not so much. It's more social uh, aspect of it. If you're writing a game right now and you don't have a heavy social component in it, it's just not as, as intriguing and probably won't do as well. Yeah. You know, the, you've seen this game Roblox. Have you seen that? It's a kid's kid's game. It's super popular and it's blocky graphics. You know, it's just, it's just not important, but the pack, you know, it's like a little stores you can, kids can buy stuff in. Uh, You know, that's where I'd be if I were going to game is like, look at that and say, this is where the, you know, payday is. So, but Roblox had been in it for a long time. I think that, you know, 15 years or something like that before they got a break, but you know, so that's, that's kind of what my take on VR. I think it's great for product development. 
yeah. architecture, landscape design, so forth. Um, you could use it for training, I suppose, but for gaming, it's just not what I would do. And I just don't think it has that kind of traction. And, I mean, name one title, one lunch title that has done what, what, you know, I can't think of one, one major title um, that's done well. Uh, so people are still playing them on consoles, you know, even PC gaming is a small segment of the market. It's just small, yeah. but consoles are, you know, PlayStation, Xbox, you know, those guys, those guys are got the market really. So it's all 2d stuff. So. Cool. Well, well, Jack, we're, we're running on uh running short on yeah. time here, but it, it is uh, yeah, really been a pleasure. I, I think it's, it's exciting to hear about all the stuff you're doing. It's cool to get your perspective. There's other fields that, uh, yeah, maybe, maybe if we talk in the future, I'd love to get your thoughts on cybersecurity as well. Cause I know it's an area where you, you have uh, I spent, some expertise. spent a lot of time on that. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, maybe for another time. Uh, okay. How about, so I, I guess kind of open-ended uh, if you want to share anything, anything we, we missed, any last minute thoughts you want to get across, anything that you want to send people to learn more about what you're doing, uh, kind of the, the, the floor is yours. So, so uh, here's, here's my last parting thought on, on vehicles uh, and mobility. You know what you really want, if you just want to get around, you want to go from place to place, you just want to hail a vehicle to come get you like my car sits in the sun for eight hours a day no utilization for 80 percent of its life it sits you know so i mean i used to be able to hail a vehicle and have it pick you up i know you have uber right i'm not talking about that i'm talking about an autonomous vehicle a small ev fetches you up takes you home and then goes away right and then let's say oh i forgot something i have to go to the store you just hail it another one shows up five minutes later picks you up takes you drives you there and drops you up I think that that is an intriguing uh, paradigm. I'm not sure how automotive manufacturers would would like that because they want to sell a car to everyone, right? But that's that's intriguing to me. Um, it's probably the future. I, I don't know. I know I, I've gotten to know a lot of people in the mobility space, uh, getting to know folks um, really well, and um, I'm kind of feeling out what they're doing. No one's really working on that though. They're working on selling scooters or collecting coins, you know. So that's that's. That's what I, I mean uh, to a lot of young people and I'm not young anymore, but a lot of young people, that's all that's important is getting to where they need to be. Uh, me, I like to do it in style, with a, you know, like a Mambo or something like that. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just not their thing. So, but that's, that's an area I would look at. Also the policy stuff I mentioned earlier, I don't think that got into the blog, but here, but you know, the policies uh, need to be changed for small vehicles here. We need, we need a policy adjustment. Yeah. And, um, and it's not important to have a 10,000 pound car. Uh, you can do it with a 1500 pound car, four wheels. It's safe and reasonably safe. And I mean, if you can ride a motorcycle around town and two wheels and you can get slaughtered on it, why, you know, why don't, can't that risk be put into a four wheel vehicle? And it's the same sort of risk, right? I mean, you know what yeah. I mean? Is it, and that's maybe, my, one of my favorite from a physics perspective. I mean, if we're looking to make things more sustainable and we're looking to take energy out of lighter vehicles cut down the energy consumption almost proportionally yeah. to, to the mass right for sure yeah and it does everything you need it to do single seat or two seats yeah i don't you know i have four seats in my car i've never sat no one's ever i don't think people have sat back there a couple of times but yeah, yeah. often you don't need all of that you just need something and uh, it can be fast too this little ev we have the orange one is fast it thinks scary fast like dangerous fast. <laughs> so but it could be fast and sporty but it doesn't have to have I mean, people drive, you know, the three-wheel Polaris I mentioned, people drive those things around, yeah. um, you know, and there's risk. So they know the risk. 
dangerous. It may, may get hurt. Yeah, I, I didn't realize that the policy was, was an issue there. I'm going to have to do some research that has piqued my interest because, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm certainly, uh, I don't know, re- rethinking the way people get in urban er- get around in urban areas. I think is mm-hmm. we need to really start from the ground up and not just think let's make different cars because I think we're missing part of the uh, part of a key part of the equation if if we do that. So, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Cool. Well, I, I think uh, like most good conversations, you left me with uh, more to to go look into and, and research than than I came into the conversation, which I think is is a good sign. Thanks. Thank you very much. It's an honor to be here. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks, Jack. Nice to meet you. The Future Mobility Podcast is brought to you by FEV. For more than 40 years, FEV has been a global leader in the development of mobility solutions for the transportation industry. With a team of experts passionate about innovation through the design, development, integration, and validation of turnkey vehicle and propulsion system technologies, FEV is your partner for the development of future mobility solutions. I'm your host, Brandon Bartnick. If you want to learn more or get in contact, share feedback or questions, the best place to find me is on LinkedIn at Brandon Bartnick. Thanks for listening.